Okay, guys. We're in Mark 1, 16 as we uh, start this series. And it reads, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So imagine this for a second, okay? A dude that looks like uh, Pastor Eric comes walking along the beach, and he asks you to follow him. What, what would you do? What would you do? How would you respond? Right? We see the disciples right away, they says in verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's pray and we're going to get started. Father, we thank you that you're here in this place tonight to meet us just where we're at. Some of us maybe came in here not knowing who you are, not knowing what this whole Christianity thing is. God, I pray that you would speak to them, those people. Some of us might have come in this room tonight with just anxiety and stress and troubles and things that we're thinking about. I pray that you would meet them and speak them to them tonight in whatever situation they're going through. I pray everybody in this room tonight would leave this place with hope, with a better understanding of the gospel, with a deeper love for you, Jesus. So I pray that you would do that, God, that you would anoint my words. Because I know, Holy Spirit, if you don't move in this place, if you don't convict us of sins, if you don't uh, show us your goodness, your mercy, your glory, God, we'll never change. We can never change on our own efforts or doing routines and stuff like that. So, God, I pray that you would just move for your name's sake, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we start this series, I want you to think about this question, okay? If you're a Christian or exploring Christianity, welcome. If you're new, my name is Ben. I'm the Young Adults Pastor here at Village Church, and I want to just say we're so happy that you're here. We hope that you feel like you belong, that you're welcomed here tonight. But here's the question. Who disciples you? Who disciples you? So a disciple is a student. So another way to phrase this would be, who is teaching you? Right now, in this moment, who's teaching you? Because like it or not, no matter where you're at in this life, no matter how you're living your life, you need to understand at a super basic level, somebody is teaching you, somebody is molding you, somebody is forming you. See, humans, the reality is human beings are the kind of creatures that have to learn and keep learning from others when it comes to how to live your life when it comes to how to live this life. So be it if you're in school right now or not, be it if you're a Christian or not, who's teaching you? See, if we think about this question for a second, um, there's either one person teaching you or several people teaching you. And you need to come to the reality that you're probably learning from somebody. Just like think about the friends around you, okay? A simple test to see if maybe your friends are the ones that are actually teaching you right now in this moment is just do you all dress the same? 
Do you, everybody in your crew, do you, do you all dress the same? See, we, we did, yeah. You're like, dang, bro, why did you wear that jacket tonight, right? That's when you, you text the dude. And you're like, don't wear your leather jacket because I'm wearing my leather jacket. Okay, anyways. A lot of you probably, you know, in Western culture, this like really grates up against us because we love this idea that we are our own person, right? That we're in control of becoming who we want to be, being who, how, living this life the way that we want to live it, right? We love this idea, but the reality is it doesn't work like that. A famous philosopher by the name of Aristotle put it this way. We owe more to our teachers than to our parents, for though our parents gave us life, our, teach us, our teachers taught us the good life. So I was thinking about who taught me as I was growing up, who taught me, not my teachers, but who maybe subconsciously taught me to live my life. And a name that popped into my head right away was Eric Costin. Eric Costin. How many of you guys know who Eric Costin is? Put up your hand. Okay, this is not going to work for me. The rest of you guys don't come back because, no, joking. I'm just playing. Eric Austin, just so everybody's on the same page, is a pro skater. And here's a clip to show you who he is. And maybe you can get a sense, if you know me, why he influenced me so much in my life. So there's a little window into my life. I was actually that good. No, I'm joking. But none of you'll know because I'm 30 and I don't skin anymore. But Eric Austin, okay, what did he teach me? Well, like any teacher in your teens and your 20s, they help you consciously or unconsciously imagine or image or, or they help you see or the life that you want to live. Like they portray a lifestyle to you that you want to live, right? So what did Eric Costin teach me? Well, he taught me that skateboarding is life, skate for life. I wanted to get that tattooed, but thank God I didn't. And then um, uh, he taught me that, you know, winning competitions, getting sponsors, hitting up parties, having a good time, drinking on the weekends. That's the life. That's the good life. That was the life that he portrayed for me. So what did it look like? When I was 16, that's all I tried to do. I worked a nine to five to pay for skate goods so I could go and skate on the weekends. And then it looked like me hanging out with my buddies at Tawasin Skate Park every day I could in the summer because you know that you get three months to skate here in Vancouver. And other than that, you're screwed. But anyways, and so that looked like me just trying to live or emulate him as much as I could. And the thing about it, maybe for you, it's an actual professor. Maybe for you, it's an academic professor or a coach. Or maybe for some of you, it's an icon of some sort. Maybe it's an artist, a writer, a musician, a celebrity. Whoever it may be, you need to ask yourself the question, who's teaching you? Who's teaching you? For some of you, it might just be Instagram. Seriously, you're scrolling through that page, and you see your feed, and you're like, okay, this is what life is all about. Who's teaching you? 
See, we see Jesus show up on the scene. And he's walking on the beach, as I said. And these two guys by the name of Simon and Andrew, he, he walks up to them. And he asks them, follow me. Let me disciple you. Let me teach you. And we see this in verse 17. And it reads, and Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And see, the reason I ask you this question, because like a major transition in life is to go through and figure out who taught you, what did they teach you, and what are the results in your life. And it takes courage, because sometimes you're not going to like those results. Sometimes, subconsciously, you kind of adopt this lifestyle that's led you to a dead end of sorts. And so Jesus shows up, and he wants to teach these disciples. And a lot of us have probably heard this before, right? Christianity is all about what? Following Jesus, following Jesus, becoming his disciple. But I think in our culture nowadays, we've kind of like misunderstood this. We don't understand what it looks like to follow Jesus in real life. So first, what does it mean to be a disciple? Okay, so a disciple, first and foremost, is to follow Jesus, to go into a relationship, to enter into a relationship with him. To be specific, it's a relationship with a student and a teacher where he's teaching you how to live life. A word that encapsulates this perfectly is the word apprentice, apprentice. So to become apprentice is if someone, if someone decides to be with another person and to learn from them in order to become capable of doing what the teacher does, or get this, to become who he or she is. So a classic example of an apprentice is a plumbing apprentice or an electrical apprentice, right? And sure, all those programs are different, but they all entail some, some sort of hands-on training and some classwork where you learn from the teacher, right? And if we think about this, we need to have, take this idea and apply it when it comes to discipleship with Jesus. So the question is, what does Jesus do really well? You know, what is he really good at? Dallas Willard, in his book, Divine Conspiracy, has an answer for this. And he says, the answer to this question is found in the Gospels. Jesus, he lives in the kingdom of God, and he applies that kingdom for the good of others, and even makes it possible for them to enter it in for themselves. Get that. He even makes it possible for them to enter into it for themselves. This is what he's calling the disciples to when he comes along the beach and says, follow me. This is what he's calling us to when he comes along and he asks you to follow him, when he calls you to become a disciple. And for some of you, that's going to be tonight. He's asking you to come along and apprentice with him, to learn how to become and do life like he would do it. So this is the implication. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus in this place tonight, if you call yourself a disciple, and at a personal level, a personal way to put this is this, Okay? I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. Okay, I'm learning to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. You know, if you're exploring Christianity and we're ever wondering what it means to follow Jesus, this is a great answer. Write that down. I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. And this is really helpful because when I talk to a lot of young adults, 
right, when it comes to talking about what does it mean to be a disciple or how do you follow Jesus, a lot of the times their mind just goes to full-time ministry or part-time ministry or ministry of some sort. And sure, for some of you, that might be your calling, but for the majority of you, that's not going to be the case whatsoever. No, it's a common misunderstanding, but Jesus wants to actually take your actual life right here and now, and that become the focus of your apprenticeship to Jesus, your discipleship to Jesus. And this is a crucial mindset to adopt. So to get you thinking in that way, here are a couple examples, okay? So if, it's, if I was a barista or a construction worker, right? I need to start thinking, how would Jesus function in my role if he were I? Okay, so how would Jesus respond to my boss who's chirping me all day to do it better, to do it faster? Or how would Jesus respond as a barista to that woman who gets all up in your face and tells you that you got her drink wrong when you know for a fact that she ordered a grande, triple shot, white mocha, whatever, whatever, right? Or for example, um, how would Jesus respond if you get an email from a woman that says, or well, no, you email a woman to tell her that she's too old to come to your Valentine's Day singles party and you get a reply back <laughs> that says, well, next time it would be nice if it was clearly communicated that this was a young adult event only. In that situation, I decided that Jesus would delete that email. <laughs> so I deleted that email. No, straight up. <laughs> but again, to repeat, okay? I'm learning from Jesus how to live my life, my whole life, my real life, the way that he would live it. I know, I'm not learning how to live his life, okay? This is really important. I'm not learning how to live his life because his life was trans transcendently unique. No one's gonna live that life again because he came with his mission and his purpose and he accomplished it. It's finished. It's done. But he wants to look at your life and figure out how are you gonna lead your life. So this is not a matter of just doing religious things. I want you to get that. It's not a matter of just doing religious things. It's living every inch of your life the way that Jesus would live it. And when it comes to following Jesus, it's less about what you do, meaning vocation or calling or job, but more about how you do it. Therefore, life in God's kingdom is not just about avoiding sin. Okay, it's not just about avoiding sin. And sure, that's a main part about it, but you can't just go and live your life when it comes to following Jesus just trying to avoid doing the wrong thing. Yes, that's part of it. It's called obedience, but that's only half of it. The other half is that you need to be thinking, how can Jesus work through my life to bring about the kingdom, to bring about good everywhere I go, every, every, in everything that I do? So when it comes to uh, designing clothes or making tacos or selling cars or you name it, designing graphics and artwork and illustrating or uh, bagging groceries at Fresh Street, you always have to go with the mindset, like, how would Jesus do it if he was I? Right now, in this situation, how would he do this? And if you dislike your job right now, little tip, great way to just change your mindset 
just infuse some joy into that situation? Because let's be honest, right? Most of us as young adults probably do not like our jobs because it's just a step in towards what we actually want to do in our life, right? Quick tip in order to infuse joy into that situation, just think about you doing your job as if you're doing it for God. Okay, knowing that he's put you there for that moment in time to probably influence somebody around you. Or maybe even as you're carrying the groceries out to the car, you get a chance to pray with somebody or tell them about Jesus. You never know how God's gonna work. You know, the Holy Spirit's always alive and moving through you. And sometimes, you know what? I think that we're just not aware of what God wants to do because we're so inwardly focused thinking about, okay, when's my next coffee break or when do I get off that we miss the opportunities that are walking right by our faces to be used by God. So here's the point. If you're thinking right now in this moment, Ben, there's no way I can walk into work on Monday or class with this attitude, this mindset. You're right. One talk isn't going to do it. It's a process. It's a process. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. So how does this process start? Verse 17 reads this. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. You know, if you have your Bible, underline make and underline become. See, this phrase that we see here in this verse, uh, we understand that relationship is key to this becoming, this making, this forming. But what are we being made into? That's the question, right? The art of being human. That, that's the question. And one author puts it this way when he comes to answering this question. What does it mean to be human? He says human beings okay, are made by and for the creator who is known in Jesus Christ. In other words, he says, to be truly and fully human, we need to find ourselves in relationship to the one who made us and from whom we are made. The gospel is the way we learn to be human. As Irenaeus once put it, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Get that. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. The amazing thing is God intends us for us to make us whole, make us perfect. He's trying to bring us back to how it was in the garden when Adam and Eve were in relationship with him, walking with him, in connection with him. And I'm not ta- when I say that, I'm not talking about going back to simpler times where we, where we all run around naked. No, I'm talking about when we go back to times where humans understood who they were, what their purpose was, what they were called to do, and what they needed to accomplish in, in their life here on earth. Where they knew who their truest selves were. When they were, were understanding, like, okay, in connection with God, this is who I was meant to be, created to be, designed to be. And Jesus shows us this. What it truly means to be human, the image of God, and the crux of this remaking ourselves happens as we come into relationship with him, with Christ. But one of the first steps that needs to take place in our lives is that we need to make an intentional decision. A lot of us think that we will like just float or naturally progress into this lifestyle of following Jesus, but it never actually happens that way. No, you need to make this intentional decision in your life that you're gonna follow Jesus, that you're gonna apprentice him. And we see this pattern in verse 18. It says in verse 18, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately, they made this hard decision. The first disciples, they made this hard decision that they were going to leave their nets and follow Jesus. And we read this, and we're like, okay, that's easy. 
right? I would throw my fishing rod aside if the God of the universe came walking down the beach, right? But you need to understand this. In Jewish culture, fishing was a huge industry, okay? They weren't doing it just for recreation. Like, this had, this was their livelihoods. This was their careers. Like, if we go down, as we read earlier, the two other brothers, James and John, we see that they were in the boat mending their nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father. This was the family business to these two disciples. Some of you in this room know what it means to carry on the family business. So just think about that pressure, right? And Jesus comes calling you, and you leave all that behind. For some of these disciples, this probably was their identity. This was a major decision that they were making. And in this moment, Jesus calls them. And you know what they did? You know what they saw? They saw an opportunity that couldn't be missed. They saw an opportunity that they couldn't let, just walk, let Jesus just walk by. And that's how faith works. Get that? That's how faith works. It's a risk. Before faith, um, uh, faith is all about taking a risk. And before, um, faith must be an act before it's a content of belief. You need to move. You need to do something. And before they even saw Jesus really move into his ministry and start healing people and stuff like that, they decide that they are going to follow him. And Matthew 13 explains this to us really well, where Jesus tells a story, okay? And he tells a story about, and he describes the kingdom of heaven. And he says, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man finds this treasure, he goes back and he sells everything that he has in order to go buy this field where this treasure is buried. What is going on here? See, when the disciples encountered Jesus, they got this sense of this goodness that they could attain from following Jesus. They got this sense and they understood that the, the value of following Jesus, of, of moving into a relationship with him. It was something that couldn't be missed. And it's confirmed by them leaving their nets, their livelihood, their identity. And the truth is when you want something bad enough, you don't care what it costs. When you want something bad enough, you don't care what it costs. So I like shoes, okay? As you can tell right now. And I'll tell you how I got these shoes. So we were sitting at Heathrow Airport in London on our way back from South Africa this December. And my wife wanted to go into uh, downtown London. And I was like, no way. We got off 11-hour flight, and I just wanted to chill and relax and have a good time. And, you know, like, if we went downtown, the stress of trying to figure out how to get downtown through the train system and then worrying about trying to get back to catch our flight, I was like, no way. There's no way I'm going to deal with that. I don't want to put more stress on my life right now. I just went off a flight of 11 hours where I didn't even really sleep because, you know, those seats are just so cramped. And my wife was leaning up against me the whole time. And my shoulder went asleep. And I was like, you know, in that moment, I really wanted to push her off, but I didn't because I'm a good husband. But... I'm like, no way. And then so I was browsing on the internet. <laughs> and then I find that there's an Adidas store on, in Oxford Circus. And uh, it was actually not that far. It was like probably like 30 minutes. And I saw that they carry these shoes that I'm wearing right now that you can't find here usually. But, you know, I could just roll up into the store and buy these. And they were way cheaper than here in Canada. So as soon as I figured that out, I'm like, hey, babe, you know what? That's a great idea. Let's go downtown. <laughs> and I made it happen. And yes, I'm selfish, so pray for me. But 
the whole idea is when I realized that I really wanted these shoes, right, I wanted to make sure that I got the deal. And sure, the brown guy inside of me came out a little bit because, you know, brown guys love deals, right? Can I get an amen? Any brown guys in the crowd? Anyone? No? Like inside, seriously? Seriously, I feel sometimes there's like this little brown guy and this little white guy, and they're just like just dueling it out. <laughs> Anyways, okay. So what was it saying? Oh, yeah, I got this deal. So I wanted the deal, okay? That's the mindset that I was carrying into this, okay? I wanted the deal so bad. And you need to think about this. This is what was going on. This is the mindset that this guy had when he went and sold everything. He saw that there was a greater value in this treasure that was greater than anything that he had. This is the mindset the disciples had when Jesus came walking on the beach and asked them to follow him. They saw this great value into entering a relationship with him. And get this, you need to understand this. No one goes reluctantly into discipleship. No one goes reluctantly into discipleship. They understand the great worth of being in a relationship with God. And one thing that stops many of us from becoming true disciples in today's culture is that idea that uh, if we do this, things will go terribly wrong for us and it will actually ruin our life. And I say this from personal experience because to be honest with you, growing up in the church all the time, I was like, okay, God, I know if I follow you, you're probably going to call me to be a missionary in a hut somewhere in Africa. Anybody thought that before? That was the thought that went through my head. And even when we were going to Haiti this past November, the whole time I was like, please, God, don't call me to this place. Please, God, don't call me to this place. <laughs> please don't let me fall in love with the city. And you know what? I did fall in love with, the, with Haiti. We're going back. There's room. You can apply. Anybody want to go with me? Sign up tonight. You can talk to me afterwards. But the thing was, God solidified in my spirit that I was called here in Canada to be a pastor. And what I've learned in the eight years that I lived my life fully surrendered to God is that, you know, he's going to call us to do some hard things. And sure, there's going to be some trials that you're going to walk through. But the thing is, the value of walking with Jesus, living life with Jesus cannot compare to anything that this world can offer you. And you need to understand that. You, they understood what they were getting. They were getting the best deal of their lives. And if you think anything is more valuable than fellowship with Jesus and his kingdom, a relationship with the God of the universe that brings you to an understanding of who you are, who you were created to be, what it means to truly be human, you will never understand, if you never get that, if you think something's more valuable, you'll never understand the spiritual practices that we're going to talk about. Because what Mark is trying to communicate to us, that there's nothing in this world that we can value more than God. That, that's what he's trying to get to us, to, for us to understand, for us to grasp. Because think about this. If you don't value God, right, more than anything else, why would you want to spend time with him, right? That's what spiritual practices are. They're about spending time with God. They're about making time in your life to enjoy Jesus. 
So if there's something in your life that you value more, and I don't know what it is for you, maybe it is a relationship with the opposite sex, maybe it's sexual gratification, maybe it is a career that leads you to those, you know, six figures, or maybe it is a new car, whatever it is in your life, that thing will always pull you away from God, from becoming more intimate with God. And here's the thing about a relationship with Jesus. See, when you're in a relationship with Jesus, you know who God is. It says this in 1 John 2.6, anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life that Jesus lived. And right now, you know, some of you, maybe you're like, I'm doing the Christian thing, okay? I've, been, I've come out to collective. I go to church on Sundays. I try to hit up CG, my community group, every time I can. But I haven't experienced the life that you're talking about, Ben. Maybe right now, in this moment, you need to ask the Holy Spirit if there's something that you value more than God. Is there something hidden deep behind your conscience or in your heart that you value more than God that you don't want to admit to? Because that's probably right now the one thing that is stopping you from fully experiencing a life lived with Jesus in relationship with him. Ask yourself in the prayer time, is there something that you value more with, than God? And here's the thing. If you go back to the garden in Genesis 3, 1 to 6, the moment that sin entered the world, you will realize the essence of sin is that Adam and Eve desired something more than God. The essence of sin is that they desired something more than God. That's what sin is. Is there something in your life right now, in this moment, that you value more than God? Right now, the Holy Spirit's popping that, whatever that thing is in your mind right now. What are you going to do about it? Or maybe some of you tonight, you start questioning who's actually discipling you in your life. Who's actually teaching you? Who's actually instructing you? Whether it be your parents, your coworkers, your old high school buddies that always take conversation back to the good old days. Anybody have those type of friends? Right? Who's instructing you? Who's teaching you? Maybe they're influencing you more than you think. Maybe they're shaping you, informing you way more than they're supposed to. And in order to live life in discipleship with Jesus. Here's the thing, okay? When it comes to spiritual practices, this is what it's all about. You live like, like Jesus lived. In order to do that, you need to adopt Jesus' lifestyle. Get that. In order to live life the way that Jesus lived, you need to adopt Jesus' lifestyle. And we'll see it in a second. If you just jump down to in Mark, we see that before uh, in verse 35, it says, And rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place all by himself, and there he prayed. That's a spiritual practice. See, if you want to live like, like life like Jesus, you need to adopt these spiritual practices. And that's what we're going to get into in these next couple of weeks. But this is the thing. You need to shift something currently in your lifestyle. Because some of you have just like decided to follow Jesus and just drag him, him, him into your old life, thinking that it's going to work out, thinking that you can just fit him in, compartmentalize him in some way, and just live out your life the way that you've been living it out. But that's not how this thing was ever supposed to be done. 
It's going to take a drastic change. You're probably going to have to go through your life and cut things out. But the benefit, the thing that is going to, on the other end, it's going to be a life that you've never lived before. And I, I tell you this out of experience. The whole idea of this talking about spiritual practices comes from me taking upon myself these last couple months to actually practice these spiritual practices in my own life. And I'll tell you, like one week, uh, I've been practicing silence and solitude, and we'll talk about that uh, next time. And I just honestly felt, I, I can't explain it, I just felt God's presence around me everywhere I went. I was super happy all the time. And yeah, I'm a pretty happy person, but I was even more happy. And I could always just, I, I just wanted to sing worship songs. I just wanted to get into his word. And I couldn't explain it. And then after a couple days, you know, I just went back. It was the weekend. I had a long week. I didn't take a day off. I spoke at a retreat. And so I thought, you know, what would be refreshing is just to, like, kick it on Netflix, you know, have a good time, maybe um, just sleep a little bit. But I found that that didn't help whatsoever. And I went back to think, okay, so what was so different about my week that, you know, I was just living life in this energized way? And in that moment, the Holy Spirit told me, like, it was because you were doing these things that I've told you to do. These, the, these things that I've showed you in the Bible that Jesus himself does. That's why there was so much joy in your life. That's why you were just, it was just felt like everything just came so easily because it was God working through you. You were connected with him. You were in relationship with him. You woke up every morning and you, you prayed, you read your word, you got in communication with him. And that's why your week went so great. And that's where the heart behind this message comes from. I want you all in this room, no matter where you're at, to, to experience that. Because I truly believe with all my heart, that's the way that Jesus wanted us to live life. Whenever he talks about the abundant life in the Gospels, that's what he's talking about. And some of you, have, maybe you've come into this Christianity thing, and somebody's hyped it up to you, and you're like, well, my experience is not like that whatsoever. That's probably because you're missing some of these spiritual practices. And I hope, I pray that these talks encourage you and challenge you to, to take this back home, to test it, go into your Bible, look it up for yourself, read the Gospels and to see where Jesus practices these things and to try it for yourself and come back and let me know how different your life is. I'd love to hear those stories. But here is where I want to close tonight, okay? This all starts off with a revelation. The revelation that I talked about, that Jesus, when he comes and calls you to follow him, this is, this is a chance that can't be missed. You need to have a revelation of that. And the beauty of it, no matter where you're at in this place, it's not dependent on you. It's God's initiative. It's a gift of grace initiated by him. And this is seen from the very beginning of the story. As Jesus shows up along the Sea of Galilee, he initiates, he calls disciples. He says, come and follow me. Back then, teachers, rabbis like Jesus did not initiate the relationship, okay? In Jewish culture back then, what happened was usually students uh, needed to do something. Not only uh, that when Jesus calls these fishermen, they, they're not required to do anything like quote the Torah, which is the Jewish Bible back then, or just do a test on theology to like, you know, pass the test to make sure they're, they're good to go. Or they, they do absolutely nothing. Jesus just calls them and they follow. 
Get that. They do nothing to deserve this relationship, and that is grace. That's grace. Unmerited favor. And the irony of this is, you know, we were supposed to image God. That was what we were created to do back in Genesis. We were supposed to image God, but because we screwed it up, because sin entered the world, God came to this world. He took on flesh. He imaged us to show us how to live this life. And not only that, he lived a perfect life. He went to the cross and died for the sins of the world. He was buried. He rose again on the third day and he conquered death in the grave when he woke up. He conquered the power of sin in our lives to show us how to live our lives the way that he designed us to live this life. That's the gospel. And that's him making a way for us to be in relationship with him for eternity. And that's all a gift of grace. And although it's initiated by God, you know, it'll always require, when we make that decision, it'll always require a forsaking, a leaving behind of things, a leaving behind of our old life to grab onto this new life that God offers us. And we're going to flesh that out in the rest of the series. And some of you in this place tonight, as we close, I want you to think about this. What is the thing that you value more than God right now in your life? Some of you, God is prompting you. He's calling you to make a decision for the first time to follow him. And I'm going to invite the band up right now. And we're going to close. We're going to go into a time of prayer. But here. I want you to just get this before we start actually delving into these spiritual practices. One author describes these practices as means of grace. So what does he mean by that, means of grace? He means that uh, these are practices that are given to us by God that put us in the proper place to experience his grace, to experience his spirit. See, Spiritual practices are a means of grace, which are God's promised channels of continuing grace. They're channels through which God gives us spiritual food for our survival, our growth, our flourishing in the mission. Get that. We don't do these things to gain God's favor. We don't do these things to twist God's arm into doing something for us. No, we already have gained his favor. That's what Jesus came and did for us. He was the propitiation for our sins, meaning that he took, he absorbed God's wrath. And now when we're in relationship with him, all we receive is God's favor. That's what he did for us. No, these means of grace, these spiritual practices are us pretty much putting ourselves under the channel of God's grace, where we know it's gonna flow, where we know we're gonna experience him. It's like a waterfall, right? We don't know where the source of the water usually comes from. We don't know, we don't control the flow. All we can do in order to get hit by the waterfall is to position ourselves underneath the waterfall. That's what spiritual practices are. And right now, in the next couple moments, you know, we're gonna, you're gonna be able to actually engage with some of these practices. We're gonna pray. We're gonna take communion together. We're gonna worship. And right now, I'm, I wanna challenge you to just enter in, to experience God for yourself, to put yourself in a position. Maybe you need to just quiet, take, take a seat around the room somewhere. I don't know what you need to do, 
but don't miss this opportunity to experience God for yourself because I believe that he's waiting for you to encounter you. He wants to pour his love into your heart. He wants you to experience him for yourself. So with that, let me, let me pray tonight. God, I thank you for your goodness, for your mercy. God, I know that you are here, that you're working. And someone in this room, God, wants to experience you. And I pray that they would ask, that they would open their hearts for you to do a work, the work that you've already initiated by them coming into this place. I know none of us are here by accident, God. So I pray that whatever that might look like tonight, that if we need to repent of our sins and turn to you and believe the gospel, that that would take place. If we need to confess in our lives that there's something that we actually value more than you, that that would take place. That you would do a work in our lives, that we would leave this place different, change, transform, and more in love with you, with a passion to go out from this place and to be a witness to you, for you, to be an ambassador, God to tell people of your grace and your love and what you came and did for us. Pray that you would do this for your name's sake, God. In Jesus' name, amen.